I'm on. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Really glad you're here. Great to be here. Thank you. You have a little uh, pamphlet uh, nearby, and that is a, a listening tool. It's one of my favorites, written by a woman not too far from here in New Westminster, Doreen. I still don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I won't. Uh, Doreen has given us something that I just find really helpful in all kinds of different settings. And so let's look at it as we begin this morning. Uh, follow Jesus around the Scriptures. Be an observer. Watch how He looks. Watch how He touches. Watch how He is present to people. Watch how He prays and takes time out. Let Him look at you. Let Him touch you. Let Him hold you. Let Him heal you. Let Him be present to you. Then become the look. Become the touch. Become the presence. Thank you, Doreen. Isn't that good? Funny thing is, my wife was sitting with Doreen. She's counsels and whatnot. Just the two of them were alone in a room, and, and Doreen started to quote this to Evie. And Evie said, wow, that's amazing. That's really good. Do you have that written down somewhere? And she said, no. <laughs> And so we got her to write it down, and that thing, I'm, I'm not kidding you, is in Arabic all over Egypt. It's in Brazil, in Portuguese, it's in Korean, in uh, South Korea, and some North Koreans are enjoying it. Uh, it's in Mexico and other places, and so thank you, Doreen. Uh, this morning, we want to follow Jesus around the Scriptures, and we're going to go into John chapter 8 together. And we're going to look at a, a time when Jesus uh, was in a certain setting. And as usual, there are people that he touches. And it's always, to me, quite amazing the people that Jesus chooses to touch and through them bless others. And as one of my new friends says, it always seems like they're the wrong people. They're the people that you wouldn't choose, right? And so uh, here we go into John chapter 8. Uh, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What, what, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to find a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and said to her, asked her, woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. I never stop enjoying uh, that story and more from the life of Jesus. So this morning we want to follow Jesus as we have into this setting, and uh, we're watching Him, and we're noticing things. Already some of you uh, like certain things about this story, and I'm going to get you to shout them out soon. Uh, you did get the memo that we're doing this sermon together, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So we have... Um, we have Jesus. We have this group called the Pharisees. Now, we could talk for a long time about the Pharisees. Very interesting. I'm a student of the Gospel of Mark more than other Gospels, uh, and the Mark Center is named after the Gospel of Mark, uh, in which we see Jesus uh, living out this beautiful rhythm of working hard with great energy, serving people, but then withdrawing for times of prayer. And this rhythm in the life of Jesus is, is fabulous to watch. And so here we are now uh, in the Gospel of John, but in Mark, uh, very interesting, from chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, verse 6, you have five head-on collisions in a row between Jesus and the Pharisees. Bang, 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 bang. They keep button heads, and the thing that I like to think about is when they bang, the fragrance of Christ is spreading, the aroma of Christ and the gospel. But unfortunately, when they bang, the stench of the spirituality of the Pharisees is also spreading, and it's noticeable. It's painfully awkward, and you could name a few things. What do Pharisees look like to you? Where, where did they go wrong? How would you describe them in a word? They were a little bit self-righteous self and arrogant. arrogant. Judgmental, yes, very judgmental. Proud. Proud. Legalistic. Legalistic. They were stuck in behavioral things, and they couldn't get to the heart. Jesus, on the other hand, had a spirituality that uh, was beautiful, and there are so many words we could use to describe it. And as we get into this particular story, uh, let's see where we go. Uh, we have a woman. Uh, who was caught in adultery. The, uh, the Scripture starts with at dawn. So it's in the morning. Uh, first thing in the morning, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, somehow knew where to find this woman. We don't know the details, but bang, they brought her out there. They made her stand in front of the group. They singled her out for her humiliation. And then they said to Jesus, uh, you know, we found this when we caught her in the act of adultery in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women, put the pressure on Jesus. But what do you say? I actually love that line. Uh, when you slow down and you look at that line, it is so inviting for Jesus to speak. But what do you say? Uh, as Derwin mentioned, my wife and I are, are really loving the focus on listening to God. And we gather stories, and we keep meeting new friends all over the world who are listening and hearing God in fabulous ways. So when the Pharisees say, but what do you say, 
they're accusing and they're hoping to trap Jesus, but I like to think of that as an open door. Okay, so what does Jesus say? How does Jesus speak? And interesting, it's not only through words that come out of Jesus' mouth, he also speaks through his actions. And in this case, what does he do? He just, yeah, he writes on the ground. I'm thinking there's a little whistling going on here. And he's got to finish the tune down there, and these guys are getting anxious, and they're kept on questioning him. I have a feeling that silence, silence was powerful in uh, changing the mood of that situation. I don't know about you, but I imagine that it's pretty tense. Like, they bring this woman in, they make her stand in front of the group, they, they challenge Jesus. They're uptight. They're, they're, the tone, the mood is going quick, and Jesus slows down the whole universe and bends down and writes on the ground. What did he write on the ground? Forgiven. Forgiven. Wow, that's kind of cool. I like that. Anyone else? What did Jesus write on the ground? It could have been some of the sins of those old, uh, well, those people, and then the older ones left first. We're imagining they might have sinned a little more. Uh, okay. Arthur says, old girlfriends could have wrote that down. I, that's good. I have a really brilliant answer for you. Someone already said it. We don't know. <laughs> what Jesus wrote. We are not told what Jesus wrote. We can guess, and that's a beautiful guess, forgiven. Wow, just stamp that over that woman right there, forgiven. But anyway, Jesus was writing on the ground. What, I, what we do know is that he bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And we do know from the text that it probably took a while because they kept on questioning him. And he just had to finish what he was doing. And there was something powerful about that. Then he, he, he straightens up. A lot of posture of Jesus in this uh, story. He's bending down. He's straightening up. He's bending down. And so now when he, when he does straighten up, I love it that it's only one sentence. So powerful. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What a powerful, brilliant line. And they, as they hear it, and he goes back down on the ground and starts writing a little more, uh, they go away one at a time. And you might be right. There may have been older people leaving first because they had more stuff to be uh, forgiven for and aware of. Uh, I kind of think maybe... The older ones left first because as you get older, I've been noticing this with people around me who I love, who are walking with God. People who are getting older uh, are less defensive, and, and there's, there's not as much to be all uptight about. Uh, pe people are letting go, and so I think those older ones may have left first because they were more gracious, and they knew, oh, he's got us. He's so right. Let's get out of here quick. <laughs> and so they left. They all left. No one dared stay there and throw the first stone. Incredible. So Jesus is still down on the ground when everyone is now gone. The woman is still standing there, and he straightens up, and he says to her, 
Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. He declares, and he says, go now and leave your life of sin. What is a life of sin? Stop and think about that a little bit with me. A life of sin, what does that look like? One of the uh, Hebrew definitions of sin is to miss the mark or to misuse the energy that God has given you. And so I like to think that this woman is going in a wrong direction. She is misguided. She is uh, going in a direction that is not blessing her or others. And now Jesus empowers her as he, through his action, has singled her out through his challenge to that group of men. They all have left. Jesus has singled this woman out to empower her. And I believe if Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin, it was possible. And I think it happened. I think this woman was never the same. And she left her life of sin, and she went on to use her energy her God-given creativity, whatever it was that God had blessed her with, gifts, who knows what, and she went on her way, blessed, empowered. Uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine, who is a bicycle shop owner, was in Whistler, and he was at an annual convention for the new bicycles being released for the coming year, and he was with about 100 people in a room at Whistler that had a very, very high ceiling, and Harv is a funny guy. He doesn't have a whole lot of patience for long presentations. So he's sitting there with the 100 people. They're watching these uh, PowerPoint pictures coming on there. And as he's watching, yeah, okay, I know that, yeah. He's looking up, and he sees a bird, a single bird flying around up there. And he's watching the presentation, and he's getting distracted by the bird, and he's going back and forth. And then he notices that this bird is coming down and is coming right for him. And he braces himself, and the bird lands on my friend Harv's head. <laughs> and the guy doing the presentation sees it, and he's like, looking, what? And he, everyone's quiet. Everything stops, and everyone turns and looks at my friend Harv, sitting there. It's all silent. <laughs> the bird flies away, and Harv, because he's a complete goof, stands up and says, that's right, folks, out of all you people here, that bird chose to land on my head. <laughs> and the whole place just laughs. It's a crazy moment. And I laughed like crazy when I heard about it. For a few years, I was laughing. And then I started seeing something again and again, and it made me think a little bit differently about this story. And the poem that you have right there I had in front of me two years ago in Kona, Hawaii at a discipleship training school with 47 Koreans in my class. And I was in the first moments of my class, just said hello, who I am, and I just had an idea pop into my head, so I ran with it. I said, hey, this little poem that you've got in front of you on that page, um, we're going to get two of you to memorize it. And I pointed out Kwan, who I had just met, a staff member. I said, Kwan, you're going to memorize it in Korean, aren't you? 
And he was very agreeable. Yes, I will do that. And you're going to present it to the class in two days. All right, yes, I sure will. Okay, and I walked over here and I saw Lydia and her husband who I just met. I knew they spoke English. I said, and Lydia, you're going to memorize it in English, aren't you? And she didn't smile like you did. She, she looked like she had seen a ghost. <laughs> and she was quiet, like for way too long. And I said, hey, you can say no. And she said, yes. Very serious. So two days later, Lydia stands up in front of the class after Kwan did it in Korean. She did it in English. And she started off well. She said, follow Jesus around the scriptures. Be an observer. Watch how he looks. Watch how he touches. Watch how he is present to people. Watch how he prays and takes time out. And then she got into paragraph two. Let him look at you. And she stopped right there, and she began to weep from a very deep place. And it was amazing. I've never experienced something like this in a class before. Like, she was weeping. There was no way she was going to stop soon. And I spoke through the translator, Jimmy, and I said, hey, tears are good. We're not in a rush. Let's be respectful. And Lydia wept in front of us. Different people in the class started to weep. And finally, she finished, and she went right into paragraph two with a little bit of a smile. She said, let him look at you. Let him touch you. Let him hold you. Let him heal you. Let him be present to you. Then become the look. Become the touch. Become the presence. And I was so grateful but Lydia took one step back to her seat, and I stopped her, and I asked her a question. I said, Lydia, would you be willing to share with us uh, how Jesus has touched you through this poem? And she smiled, and she said, this morning I told God I was not willing to share my story unless someone asked me. So I was the hero. I asked her. And I was so glad that I did ask her because she took the microphone and I literally sat down and Lydia said, two days ago when I started to memorize this poem with my husband, it brought us right back to a year ago when we were in the Seattle hospital and it was time for me to have an ultrasound. And we actually listened to the heartbeat of the couple ahead of us and shared in their joy and then it was our turn and the doctor said to me that the child inside you is dead. And Lydia broke. And she was, she said, I felt ashamed and I felt abandoned by God. And she started to curse God in the Seattle hospital, yelling loud with their anger towards God. The time went on. She came on this discipleship training school. I happened to be the first week speaker. And Lydia memorizes this poem and she said, uh, it was as though God was speaking to me and saying, Lydia, Lydia, I was with you in the Seattle hospital, but you didn't let me look at you. You didn't let me hold you. You didn't let me heal you, touch you, be present to you. And I'm doing it now. And she opened her heart in such a beautiful way. People in the class started crying more. And it was, as a teacher, I sat there and I said to myself, okay, this is what I'm going to remember when I leave this place. This is powerful. And so Lydia, uh, a year later when I flew back to a different DTS with Koreans, gave birth to a, a little girl that very week 
in another part, or Seattle probably. But uh, we are blessed to experience something that I have come to think about in this way. It is as though the bird landed on Lydia. <laughs> and in a spiritual way, uh, God blessed her socks off and she blessed all the rest of us. And so if you don't mind me using this goofy picture of my friend Harv having a bird land on his head, uh, it just keeps happening. You, you go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have something near the beginning somewhere, and it is the baptism of Jesus. And think about the favor and the love and the glory, the peace of God on Jesus as he's coming up out of the water. What lands on his head but a peaceful dove, right? The Holy Spirit. And then the Father speaks, and what does he say? You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so the bird lands on Jesus. The love, the compassion, the favor of God lands on him. And then Jesus starts going throughout the Gospels. And think about how he singles people out again and again. If you don't believe me, go to Mark 3, and there's a, a situation where the Pharisees are in the uh, synagogue. Jesus goes in there, he's teaching, but uh, a man with a shriveled hand is there. And at the very beginning of the passage, Jesus asks him to stand up in front of everyone. That's the exact words. Stand up in front of everyone. That's kind of awkward, isn't it? So the guy stands up in front of everyone. And then Jesus talks to the Pharisees a little bit, and he says, uh, is it lawful to do good or uh, evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? And they have no answer for him. Then he says to this guy, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand, and he is completely restored. Wow. Jesus singled him out. You still don't believe me? Go to Mark chapter 5. We've got a story of a woman. Jesus is on the way to Jairus to heal that little girl, daughter, right? And on the way, a large crowd is pressing around him, and a woman is there who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had, and instead of getting better, she grew worse. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. Because she thought, if I, if I just touch him, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples said, you see the people crowding against you. How can you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He wanted to meet this fabulous woman. And then the woman, trembling with fear, came, fell at his feet, and told him the whole truth. Jesus blessed her and called her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And she went on her way blessed, singled out by a loving God through Jesus. It's happening today all over the world. It's happening in your life because God is so big and so cool that he has the ability to make every one of you feel like you are his favorite. And in fact, you are. 
I have six kids. I love all my kids. I, I think they're fabulous. I would never make a decision to not speak to one of my kids. It's not going to happen, ever. God the Father speaks to all of His children. Every one of you have heard His voice in one way or another, and you will hear His voice in the years to come. He speaks through creation. He speaks through the Word of God. He speaks through each other. He speaks in a whole wide variety of ways. He speaks through jazz. Oh, yeah. He can speak through the Beatles. Is that possible? I have a good friend, Blaine, one of the wackiest youth pastors you've ever met, and he was driving his car not too far from here in Seattle, Washington. I talked with him the day after this happened. He's driving his car. He's got a young guy beside him who he's angry at, and Blaine is so honest. That's one of the things I love about him the most, and so he starts yelling at this kid in his car because Miles just got kicked out of school again. And Blaine has been pouring his, his energy, his love into this kid. And, and Blaine says, you need God. Your life is a mess. You, you. And then Blaine speaks something that he didn't plan. It just came out of his mouth. You, you need to hear the song by the Beatles called, Help, I Need Somebody. And Blaine is like, why did I say that? But he keeps driving his car. And Miles says something that I, I dare repeat in public. He says, the Beatles suck. Didn't that hurt? Oh, so then, then Blaine says back to Miles, well, what if, I, what if I pray that that song comes on my radio right now? And Miles says, uh, whatever. So Blaine turns on his radio and starts praying for his radio. The song that's on there comes to an end, and the announcer says, hey, we're taking you way back to... Uh, 1962, the Beatles' Abbey Road album, Help, I Need Somebody. <laughs> and Miles begins to smash, uh, swearing, cussing on the dashboard. Blaine pulls over the car. It's like a, an earthquake in his car. And on the side of the road, Miles gives his life to Jesus. Uh, God is working in all kinds of bizarre ways. And he's speaking. And he's revealing his love to people like Miles. And there are moments in your life and in mine where we feel like the bird is landing on us. And there are encounters. I love the word that you've chosen. Isn't that the word for the summer here? Encounters with Jesus. Uh, I have too many people telling me, oh, oh, the Bible's the word, and we got this thing experience over here. You got to be careful. Uh, no, no, no. I'm reading my Bible, and it's full of experience. It's full of encounters with the living God. And so we're looking to connect with God, body, soul, spirit. God has created you for relationship with himself. And he longs to draw near to you again and again. So we got to be quiet. We got to let silence do its work. And I believe those, those Pharisees that day, silence probably drew them to face themselves in a beautiful way. Who knows? how some of them could have changed through that. Now, one of the things you need to remember about God, this God who speaks today, is that sometimes He'll speak to you and ask you to do something that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the moment. Has anyone ever experienced that? You've had an impression to do something. It's not a terrible thing. It's not to murder anyone or anything, but it's just an impression that leads you 
and in the moment you don't quite get it. Uh, I like to think of Jesus as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, a man. Yes, He was the Son of God, but He was also a man, right? Doesn't your Bible say that? Often Son of Man is how He liked to be referred to. Jesus, in that moment, think about it, maybe, just maybe, Jesus was doing the next thing the Spirit of God guided Him to do. So He gets all this uh, intensity from the Pharisees, teachers of law, they start accusing him with this question, and Jesus does not react. He responds. And maybe this is an idea from the Holy Spirit, uh, and Jesus listens, and he just feels the impression to bend down and start writing in the ground. And Jesus is saying to the Father, really, Father? Is this okay? I'm doing it. He bends down and starts writing on the ground, and one thing leads to another, and beautiful, beautiful things emerge. I have a new friend by the name of Jamie. Uh, I could tell you about him for the next hour and a half. Uh, he is an inspiring friend. If you want to Google him, Jamie Winship is his name, Winship. And Jamie uh, likes to ask people the question, is there anywhere in the Bible where God asks people to do something that's just a little bit crazy? And then he answers his own question, and he says, oh, right, the whole Bible. Yeah, there's a few times when God invites people to take steps of faith and to do something that doesn't make entire sense. And so, uh, Jamie had an experience like that. He's, he used to be a police officer in Washington, D.C. About 25 years ago, he was getting rolling, and he, uh, as a police officer, was with his partner one day. They came on a scene where uh, another police officer was being beaten up. In fact, this time, he was not with his partner. Jamie was alone, and he came to the rescue of another police officer who had blood all over him and was being in the process of being beat up by a criminal. Jamie apprehended the criminal, put him in the back of his car. Other people came and helped the police officer, and Jamie was driving away. He had blood on himself. He was very emotionally angry and disturbed, and the guy in the back is there, and Jamie is driving him to the police station. Now, the, the kind of the code of ethics here in the police force at that time was that if somebody from a different police unit is, is uh, hurt by anyone, uh, Jamie's job was to bring this criminal to that unit and simply drop him off there and let them deal with him. And the assumption is it's not going to be pretty. And so, that's what Jamie's doing. He knows this is his job. He's driving in his car to the police station to give this criminal behind him to the other unit. As he's driving there, he hears a voice in his mind. And the voice says, pull over your car and let this guy go free. Let him walk. And Jamie starts a long argument with God. I think it was at least four or five very good arguments that he had to uh, not do this, and every one of them involved fear, at least from God's perspective. Jamie didn't think he was afraid of anything, but God was saying, you're afraid, you're afraid, you're afraid. And so finally, Jamie agrees. He pulls over his car, and he says to the guy behind him, get out, you're walking, you're free. The guy says, no way, you can't make me. <laughs> and Jamie's like, get out. You're free, go. He's still kind of angry about the whole situation. And the guy says, no, you're just going to shoot me. And then you're going to say that I ran away. And, uh, oh, okay, okay. They talk it over. 
and Jamie's thinking in his mind, okay, God, we got two guys who really agree this is a bad idea. Let's just move on. No. Uh, finally, the guy in the back says, if you're going to make me walk, you're going to have to tell me why. So Jamie explains to him who God is, Jesus, Holy Spirit, listening to God, little sermon. And then, uh, and the guy finally is convinced, so he walks. And that guy walks out of that police car all the way to the police station and turns himself in. And today, that man and Jamie have done more together against crime in their city than who knows what. The police department has that guy working for them today. They love him. They love him so much that very recently, his wife, who wanted to become a lawyer and didn't have the money, the police department paid for her to become a lawyer. Uh, the woman, we come back to this woman in John 8, and we just think about her situation a little bit. I mean, think about her. She is on the verge of certain death. She's going to be stoned. And Jesus comes along with brilliancy from the Spirit of God guiding him, a, a comment that anyone who is without sin can throw the first stone. Grace abounds and she is set free to go on her way. The guy in the police car uh, set free, empowered to a different life. God is good, and He is speaking today, and He is working uh, in beautiful ways. Your ears will hear the copy of that book in the back is directly from Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear. A voice inside you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So God is speaking. He's speaking through a lot of different ways. And as he speaks to you and me, don't be surprised if you feel singled out by a loving God. Let's get some worship going here for crying out loud. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. Thank you that uh, we can know you. Thank you that we can walk with you. And Lord, I pray that you will increase the faith in our hearts, increase the openness in our hearts myself included, Lord, that we would walk with you, that we would be open to how you uh, can speak and work. Thank you that we can trust you, Lord. We can trust the impressions that you give us. We're in community. Uh, we've got each other. We've got your word. We've got creation all around us uh, crying out that you are good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.